Hello and welcome to Patient World. Today we're honored to have our guest, Mr. Chet Galaski. Chet, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ann. Pleasure to be here. So let's get started by having you tell the audience about yourself. Sure. Um, I am not a medical professional of any kind. I'm a business person. I retired a number of years ago, and I have discovered uh, that many people don't understand diabetes well, if at all, and it's really a problem out there. I'd like to explain quickly why I got into this in the first place. When I was in Chicago a number of years ago, I was there during the week when Ron Santo was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. He had type 1 diabetes back in the 1960s, and he didn't tell anybody on the team that he had it because he was afraid they would fire him if they found out. Well, before I go any further, you need to know a little bit about type 1 diabetes. Type 1s take insulin, which means that there's a chance that their blood sugar can go too low. We all know that high blood sugar is what causes the long-term damage, but low blood sugar presents a different problem. The brain takes glucose directly from the blood, so when there isn't enough, things start to go haywire. You can uh, start sweating, you can lose your coordination, your eyesight gets funky, uh, all kinds of things happen. So with that background, uh, here's the story. Uh, Santa's in a game in Chicago. It's the last of the ninth. The Cubs are down by two. There are two outs and two men on base. Santa was in the on-deck circle, and he started feeling the symptoms of low blood sugar coming on. So he knew what the result was going to be if he didn't eat some candy. But he couldn't go back to the dugout and tell the manager he needed a candy bar. So he prayed that the guy at the plate would strike out and retire the side. Instead, he walked. So Santo went to the plate, looked up to see three pitchers, three scoreboards, 30-some-odd people standing out in the field. He said that when the pitcher threw the pitch, it looked like it had a slinky attached to the back of it. So he took a swing at it, connected, and put it out of the park for a walk-off Grand Slam home run. So Santo made it around the bases, back to the dugout, ate his Snickers bar, which was his choice of sugar, and brought his blood sugar back up. And uh, nobody knew about this for, for years afterwards. You know, once he got five golden gloves and it was in the All-Star game eight or nine times, he figured they weren't going to fire him at that point. But I heard this story. And as a type 1 diabetic, I realized that the big story here wasn't that he hit a walk-off Grand Slam home run. The big story was that he made it around the bases and got back to the dugout without passing out. Uh, most people who take insulin have experienced low blood sugar. It's not uh, that uncommon. Uh, luckily, it's easily treatable because all you have to do is eat sugar. But anybody who's had low blood sugar understands the urgency of getting it back up. And you really hope to do it seamlessly so that nobody else knows you're doing it. Uh, and most of us do do that. So anyway, I came home and started telling that story. And that's when I realized how little people understand about diabetes. Mm -hmm. I had to explain the story to them. But even more so, what I discovered is that when people ask me about type 2, I didn't know much about that at all. And in fact, a lot of what I believed was untrue. And that's when I realized that we have got a real problem here with the way people understand or don't understand diabetes. And there are a lot of implications from this. You know, that the biggest one is that it creates a stigma because people with type 2 especially are blamed for having the disease because they're 
you know, overweight, sedentary, ate too much sugar, you know, all of these things that are not really true. So that's what motivated me. Um, you know, as I said, I'm not a medical professional, but I have talked to a lot of medical professionals. Uh, I've talked to endocrinologists, CDEs, certified diabetes educators, uh, and many, many diabetics. And in my experience, this is a really widespread problem. And that's what I'm about. It is. absolutely is. There are not enough doctors and nurses and certified educators to really reach everybody. And so everybody has a story to tell. Yep. And it is important for people to give adequate, correct, actionable information to other people because diabetes is a huge issue. And getting back to what you mentioned about how people are blamed, you're right. For a very long time, the thought was calories in, calories out. You eat too much, you don't exercise, you gain weight, these things happen. Fortunately, medical research is proving that to be false. More and more information is now coming out addressing hunger hormones like ghrelin and leptin. Uh, more information is coming out explaining how the hypothalamic set point, hypothalamus is a very important part of your brain. And the set point is kind of like the thermostat for your metabolic rate can be impacted. Even some processed foods can be toxic to those cells and they can impact your thermostat. So just like if you're driving around in your car and you set the thermostat to a certain level and something happens, the car is gonna to try to get it back to that temperature. Sure. So with the brain, once the body senses a quote unquote metabolic set point, you can do all that you can do to lose weight, exercise, uh, cut calories, and you can lose a lot of weight but your brain is going to say, hmm, this is not healthy. I've got to get back to my other weight. That was my normal weight. And so it can drop your metabolic rate. And so as a result of that, you keep doing all the right things and it's just not working. And that's nothing to do with being lazy, making all the wrong choices. Certainly people should do the best that they can do, no doubt. But there are things that we are now starting to understand that go way beyond our understanding 10, 20 years ago. So I'm excited to see all the research coming out on that and where we're going to go with that. Right. Well, you know, with all that research coming out, uh, it does indicate that this is not, not due to personal behavior. Uh, we have a lot of misleading information out there. What you just mentioned is something that you're born with. It's a genetic thing. Uh, we just had a study done recently uh, by the University of Massachusetts where they uh, found that there are at least 117 genes that are related to type 2 diabetes. Uh, we also know there are a lot of genes associated with being overweight. So you're right. There's a lot of stuff that's baked in the cake here that you can't do anything about. Now, obviously, you, you need to do the best you can, and that's what diabetics should do too. You know, yes. nobody's going to be perfect at controlling diabetes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. So you, you try to do the right things, but uh, it's pretty tough to beat Mother Nature. So by knowing these things and broadcasting them, we can get people to understand that the blame game has got to stop. Uh, I teach uh, 
a class. It's called the Challenge Diabetes Program. And I developed that locally. I've done it in a lot of places. And I've gotten to meet a lot of diabetics in doing that. And, and more than once, in fact, many more times than once, I've had diabetics come up to me and tell me that the best thing I told them is that they were not at fault for getting type 2 diabetes. And you can see the guilt just fall off their faces. You know, they just get a little more calm and, uh, and they're happy to know that because they've been blaming themselves for all this for all these years. So it, it's a real problem. Uh, even bigger than that is the idea that a lot of people don't admit they even have the disease and they don't do anything about it. And the result is that, that they lose limbs and they die young. It's a, it's a way it goes when you don't treat diabetes. So that's why we have to get this this uh, public attitude changed. You mentioned that you develop some things locally. What's the local? local? Where are you located? I'm in Springfield, Massachusetts. Okay. We are in the western part of the state. We're about 90 miles from Boston. Okay. So we have lots of uh, farms and hills and suburbs. Uh, Springfield itself has 140,000 people, so it's not a huge city. Mm-hmm. But it's a very diverse city. Uh, the city itself is split uh, racially about a third, a third, a third between uh, black people, uh, Hispanics, and whites. So the, the courses that I've taught, and these are only three P courses; these are not, not are not involved medical, you know, seminar type things. These are for everyday people. Uh, the, the courses I've taught have had a wide variety of people from a wide variety of cultures. In fact, the University of Massachusetts had me doing a program for the Men of Color Health Awareness Program. Uh, what they wanted to do is reach uh, black men and teach them about some of these major health issues. So I did that for a while, and that was pretty enlightening, too. Uh, my background is that I was born on the other side of the river from the city. I was in a, a town that was absolutely lily white. Uh, for as long as I can remember. Uh, and some of the stories I heard about that from from the guys who were in the program were pretty amazing. I, I couldn't believe uh, the racial stuff that was going on that, as a white kid, what did I know? You know, it's, this is the way my town was. Uh, but when I learned about what they put up with and well, I don't really want to get into all that, to be honest with you. It's it's off my topic. I try not to get into controversial things. But let's just say that I've, I've been seriously enlightened. And uh, I understand why the, the problem uh, is probably more severe among black people uh, than others. You know, part of it is genetic. Uh, but the other part of it is really a poor understanding of, of what's going on. Um, so... That's true no matter what ethnic group you're part of, but it just struck me in, in getting to know these guys that it, it seemed to be more severe than it is in the white community. And that it be, definitely maybe a, can be. It definitely yeah. can be. Um, and education is vital for people to understand things that they can do differently. And what you bring to the table is you're talking to them as a peer, not yeah. as I had all this education. I went to medical school. You're talking to them as I've been through this. I understand what your concerns on. These are some things that have helped me. Let me help you. 
that's the thing. You know, you can get as complicated as you want with diabetes. It's an immensely complex topic. And what I found in the classes that I've taken is that they tend to get too involved. Uh, and people start, you know, they drift off. I would drift off. My eyes would glaze over. It's like, you know, this stuff is not really meaningful to me. I don't really understand the relevance of, of this. Mm-hmm. So what I what I did and, and what I do is to really bring it down to simple concepts that you can understand. I had one person tell me that uh, when they were diagnosed with prediabetes, he asked the doctor what to do about it. And the doctor said, well, you should stop eating bread. Well, okay, uh, bread's a carbohydrate, uh, true enough. But he didn't go on to explain that carbohydrates raise your blood sugar and you need to identify them, whether it's bread or uh, peas or whatever it might be. You know, you've got to be aware of the food you're eating and where the carbs are coming from. But that, it, never, it never got that far. That is vital. Um understanding dietary issues. So we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Okay. Sure. It's a new day for health and wellness, and it begins at Patient World. Empower yourself with fun and engaging on-demand courses taught by doctors and other experts at patientworld.net today. So we're back with Chet Galaski, and he's giving some very informative pearls on diabetes. So let's pick up with the diet. What do you want to share with the audience about making choices? I'm not a dietitian uh, or a nutritionist. Uh, I'm just a regular guy who's got diabetes. As a diabetic, I know that number one, I need to eat balanced meals. Yes. Um, frankly, I leave that up to my wife, who luckily she's a very good cook and you know we get balanced meals uh all the time so that that that's a good thing for me uh for me though as a diabetic the critical thing is carbohydrates because carbohydrates are what raise your blood sugar mm-hmm. it can be a little complicated uh but once you have done this long enough and identified the foods that you normally eat it's not too bad what i tell people uh is that the, the universe of foods that you have to worry about isn't every food in the world. It's the food that you actually eat. If you look at your own diet, your breakfasts are probably pretty much the same. Lunches, pretty much the same. Dinners will change more often, but over the course of a month, those uh, foods will repeat too. So those are the things you really have to look at and ask yourself, where are the carbohydrates? One thing I found uh, is very common is that people eat cold cereal for a snack at night. Uh, I was surprised at how many people they wrote Raisin Bran. Uh, they, they figure that it's, it's healthy for you, right? It's got bran, it's got raisins. I mean, it's not like it's, uh, you know, Cocoa Krispies or anything like that. Uh, but I told them, you know, if, if you look at the nutritional label on, on uh, Raisin Bran, it's huge. You know, the, the bran is carbohydrate, the raisins are carbohydrate, and just for fun, they sprinkle it with sugar. So this is really a high-carb snack, and if you're eating it just before you go to bed, your body has no way of working it off. So it's actually just a – that's a low-hanging fruit. That's that's something you can fix in a hurry to help your blood sugar. Sure. Uh, so that's the thing we, we talk about. Uh, I also tell people about a dinner I went to one time. I'm Polish, 
and we went to a Polish restaurant, and I got the Polish platter. Now, I don't know how much you know about Polish food. Not but, much. Uh, well, this, 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 this uh, plate had uh, galumpies, which are stuffed cabbage, pierogies, which are little dough turnovers that are uh, stuffed with cheese or sauerkraut or whatever. Um, had tabasa, which is a sausage, and sauerkraut and a couple of pieces of bread. So the guy next to me asked me, are you really going to eat all that? I said, well, let me tell you what I'm going to do, Peter. Uh, I'm looking at that stuffed cabbage. That's about half rice, half pork. Pork's okay. Rice is going to raise my blood sugar. I'm only going to eat half of one of those pieces of bread they gave me. Uh, I, I love pierogies, so I'm going to eat all of those. They're not huge, so it's not like I'm eating a ton of carbohydrate there, but it is carbohydrate. I'm going to load up on the on the tabasa, which is sausage, and the sauerkraut, because neither one of those is going to raise my blood sugar. So that's what I did. The following day, he asked me how it went with my blood sugar overnight. I said, well, when I got up this morning, there was 114, mm. which is perfect, you know. But that's the kind of thing that I, I tell people that, on a practical level, this is the way you have to look at your food. You know, if you got a plate of food, just take a look at it and ask yourself, where are the carbs? And, and go from That's there. That's a great idea. It's a great idea. I'll, I'll tell you something else you, you might find amusing. Um, but I talked to my endocrinologist about this. I said, you know something? Most carbohydrates are around about uh, the same per cubic inch or whatever measure of volume you want to use. What I do is when I look at a plate of food, I ask myself, how many slices of bread are here? Like that, that rice in the, in the uh, stuffed cabbage? Uh-huh. How many slices of bread would that be? And you might say, okay, it's a half a slice. Uh, in other foods, the same way. Well, if you think about it in that way, say you come up with, with it looks like about three slices of bread to me. Figure each slice is probably 22 carbs, something like that. Multiply it out, and that's roughly how many carbs you're going to eat. You know, you don't have to run to a book or, or ask Alexa or anything about every little component of, of your meal. You can do it that way and, and get a pretty good idea. So that's been working for me for a long time. Certainly. And then you can see how your body responds to various foods. And then you develop a pattern so you know that you can eat this, you can eat a little bit more of that. And so your experience over time can also help you feel more comfortable with the impact of giving foods on your body. Well, yeah, you, you really hit the nail on the head there. Uh, with diabetes, it is such an individualized disease that has mm -hmm. been said that no two cases may be exactly alike. So, what works for me? may not work for you. Absolutely. I mean, that's something that you, you just have to live your life and pay attention to what your body's doing when you do certain things and go from there. You, you really have to figure a lot of this out by yourself. And the doctor really, the doctor can give you great advice, but they can't, they're not going to live with you. you know, they're that's not going to be in your, you know, they're not going to be in your hip pocket watching everything you do. You have to understand the concepts and go from there. Absolutely. And you, you also talked about the issues, uh, acute issues when the blood sugar is high, you know, the dizziness, the blurred vision and so forth. 
Um, and it is so vitally important for people to fully understand they've got to own diabetes before yes. diabetes owns them. Yep. So people have to make decisions and they make decisions, buying a car, all sorts of things. And if you get in the habit of, of thinking, okay, I'm making some fruit and long-term health decision, you get used to it. You might not choose A, you might choose B. You might have to spice it differently, but I encourage people to experiment with different things. You might find that um, this spice will turn this food into a masterpiece sure. and it may be better for you than another food. So don't be afraid to get out there and try different things because diabetes for the overwhelming majority of people can be controlled. It does yes. not have to lead to blindness. It right. does not have to lead to dialysis or amputations or the other issues, strokes and so forth. But people need to get ahead of it and say, okay, this is the condition I have. I understand the concerns. My aunt had a leg cut off. My you know, brother had a stroke, went blind. There's a lot of denial around diabetes, a tremendous yep. amount. But when you don't make a plan, then that plan is going to make you. It's going to happen. The issue is going to be, are you going to be ahead of it? Are you going to be controlling the diabetes, keeping your sugar under control? Or is the diabetes going to drag you along on this long, arduous, painful trip? One issue that was a tremendous issue for many of my patients is they didn't want to stick themselves. You know, it didn't feel good. The fingers were always sore. But now um, there are things that can be done, uh, patches. Your doctor can prescribe um, a patch that, you know, is a quick, you know, snap on your arm um, and you you sync it with your app on your phone. It lets you know if your blood sugar is too low. It lets you know, you know, if it's too high with alarms. And you can check and see what your blood sugar is many times during the day. That makes it so much easier. And you don't have to deal with all the pain of checking your sugar over and over and over again. But you will have a pulse on how a certain food raises your blood sugar, how much your blood sugar changes by walking two miles. You can own the information. You can get to the point that you feel very comfortable making decisions because you've had the experience of knowing, okay, if I do this, this is going to happen. And you build your life around these new tools. So I cannot stress enough the importance of this. I can't tell you how many Patients I've seen over 30 years who have suffered from complications of diabetes. Some of them yep. are minor, some of them are fatal, and a lot of them are painful, life-changing. But we're at a point now with medical technology that we don't have to accept the past. We can move into a new day, but it requires a partnership with the patients and the doctors, the family members, 
everybody can come together to optimize the care of diabetes. But it just takes that decision that I'm going to be the one who is well controlled and who is controlling my diabetes. And I'm not going to be the one who is controlled by a condition that I have control over. You're, you're speaking the truth. You know, that is the way it is. You had mentioned uh, about walking. Uh, physical activity is a huge part of managing diabetes. It is. And, you know, people think it's just diet, but, you know, if you go for a walk for 20 minutes even, you know, that will drop your blood sugar. And you don't even have to do it every day. If you do it every other day, mm-hmm. uh, that works as well because your metabolism gets revved up. If you decide that you want to eat more carbohydrate, maybe you want a dish of ice cream or whatever it might be that wouldn't be part of your normal diet, you could probably eat that. And depending on who you are, you can go for a walk afterwards and it'll burn that extra sugar off. So, you know, this is another variable that you can use to live a more normal lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, And as you mentioned, uh, using spices, a lot of people think that diabetics need these really strict, controlled, bland diets. And that is not true. Depending on how you spice it and how mm-hmm. you make your foods, you can have very tasty foods. Absolutely. In fact, that's, you know, one of the nice things about the keto diet, which I have never tried, uh, is that they have developed a lot of low-carb recipes that taste great. So there's a, a volume of recipes out there that we didn't even have, you know, before that craze mm-hmm. came on. Now, you had mentioned checking blood sugar. Back in 1981, when I was diagnosed, we couldn't do it at all. The closest thing we could do was to, uh, we had this stuff called test tape. It was a yellow paper that came in a dispenser that looked like a tape measure. You'd pull out a little bit, you'd dip it into a urine sample, and it would turn various colors. If it mm-hmm. stayed yellow, it meant your blood sugar had been okay. If it turned dark, uh, it's, it would tell you that it was you know, not good. It was high blood sugar. But the problem was that this is old news. Uh, This is what you did two hours ago. It wasn't what your blood sugar is right at that moment. But you fast forward to today, and I'm wearing a continual glucose monitor. And all I have to do is, is pull this thing out of my pocket and look at it. And it tells me exactly what my blood sugar is right now. It is an amazing tool that isn't it? Oh, it's, it's incredible. Um, before that came out, I was doing the course and we were talking about doing finger sticks and people would be aghast. You mean, I've got to, I've got to stick my finger and get a drop of blood out of it. Like that's the most horrible thing. I said, no, the way to look at it is that you get to do this. Instead of using test tape, you get to find out what your blood sugar is right now. Mm-hmm. But even that's old technology. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's amazing what the technology is. And that's another reason that people have to know what's going on here. You know, we have the tools to do it, but people are unaware. And I've been doing podcasts for quite a while now, and it always amazes me how the hosts themselves, number one, they've had me on because they don't understand diabetes and they'd like to know about it. Uh, and they know their audience feels the same way. And almost always the end. They just don't know anything about it. They really don't. And, and what they think they know is wrong. It's, it's a bad situation. That's why we have to change the way society thinks. Absolutely. And as I mentioned, there are not enough doctors and nurses and diabetes educators out there. We need to all work together 
We yep. need to be as one. There's so much information that we can share with one another. And so what you're doing is tremendous. And I thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to leave with the audience today? Just that if you have diabetes, you're lucky you're living today. Historically, uh, people always died from diabetes. It's been with us for thousands of years, and it was always a fatal disease until 1925. We've come so much farther uh, since 1925 that it's it's, uh, it's it's unbelievable. You know, if you have diabetes or you know somebody who does, uh, please, you know, not to not to be a huckster here, but please go to my website and maybe buy one of my books because. The way I've been talking during the last half hour or so is the way the books are written. And it's just sensible, everyday understanding of, of diabetes. Chef, what look- is your, your URL? What is your website and what are your books? Well, the website is challengediabetes.us. Say that again, please. Challengediabetes.us. Challenge with no D, diabetes.us? Yep. Great. Okay. Yeah, it's just all, all run together. Um, it's not a big involved website. You know, I'm, I'm just giving people information that will be helpful to them. Um, in another couple of months, I'm going to have the course itself online. And I'm planning on selling that very reasonably, you know, maybe. 18 bucks, 19 bucks, something like that, mm-hmm. uh, with the hope that people will take all this information and look at it themselves. Or if you have a church group or a civic group or a book club, uh, maybe you could take a meeting and, and just look it over. And if you do that, you'll get a better understanding of what's going on than what we were able to talk about today in this limited time. Uh, but if, if we could get that out there, and everybody talked about it or maybe shared it with somebody else, mm-hmm. well, then we can start to make inroads and, and educate the public. So what are, your, what are the names of your books? Well, they're both called the Diabetes Book, What Everyone Should Know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one uh, was really about basic diabetes information. Uh, the second one was updated in, in 2020. I've got more chapters in there about other facets of the disease. But I also have uh, an end part where it explains that the diabetes program that I was doing here in Springfield. And if you wanted to do it in your own locale, I'll have the materials you need to do that. Uh, What I had always dreamed is that we would have other diabetics like me who would be willing to to, uh, facilitate the class. You know, we would have the, everything would be on film, like like mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. But as far as Q&A goes and uh, helping people with individual problems, a diabetic who has had it for like five years or more and has been around the block so they know how they deal with it, that could be very helpful also. Okay. So where can they get your book? Uh, it's on Amazon. Okay. Or you can go to the website and there's, there's a link there. Great. Uh, okay. That will bring you to Amazon. So I am going to put your URL in the description to this podcast so people um, can certainly click on it and follow up and learn more about you and how to purchase your books. Excellent. And certainly appreciate you. that. Oh, it was more than my pleasure. Thank you for what you're doing. You're welcome.
Have a blessed day. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.